Welcome to Scholars and Sense. It's the podcast that takes a deep dive into the issues of the day. We do so with thoughtful conversation, and we rise above the noise and talking points. With the help of my colleagues, we get to the heart of the matter. I'm Bill Bennett, alongside my co-hosts, Conrad Black and Victor Davis Hanson. Conrad, Victor, let's jump in. All right, gentlemen, uh, the president has gone to Europe. Conrad Black, you've been to Europe. Lord Black, let's talk about this trip in stages. Let's first talk about the G7. Uh, Your thoughts? Boris Johnson said, at least I read that he said, Biden is a breath of fresh air. What did he mean by that? Was that a dig at uh, President Trump? Uh, Boris wouldn't do that. Boris liked Trump. Uh, I I think it's just positive, upbeat Boris. That's him. He's a a booster. I mean, that's not the whole story to him. He's not just a booster, but his nature is, is is the nature of Boris Johnson's mayor of London when he was presiding over the Olympics. And uh, he had prophets of gloom like Mitt Romney coming in saying this will be a disaster and so on. And he he, he just talked it up and, and, and it went off very well. And, you know, that's part of Boris's charm. He's, you know, everything is going to be better tomorrow. And uh, in that sense, it's a more an American than a British spirit, but he does it in a distinctly British way. Uh, I, I, I would not read any slight, it, it, it certainly has not reached a zero-sum game where any polite words to this president are in any sense to be taken on the case of Boris Johnson as a slight to his predecessor. What are we hopeful for or worried about with the G7? I think I can answer that myself, but I'd rather Conrad start it and then you, Victor. Well, uh, it seems to me the biggest issue is China. And uh, and what, what we are most concerned about, I would say, is Germany in particular, basically, you know, hearing the forest murmurs and saying, no, there's a special role for Germany here as the uh, intermediary between the West, which uh, doesn't really know what it's doing because it's led by the Americans and um, and China and, and that nothing is achieved. Now, I guess along with that is we're worried in a totally nonpartisan way that the president comes across in Europe as he has to a good many people on this side of the Atlantic as unfortunately not particularly well acquainted with what he's doing and, and not not terribly authoritative when he speaks. If he speaks crisply, sensibly and says good things, it'll be a good trip, I think. Uh, certainly Europe didn't like Trump very much, but they're not overly impressed with Biden. And if he comes off well and fluent and sensible, it, it'll be moderately successful, I'd say. I think the G7 is ready to enact sort of the Great Reset with Klaus Schwab and this idea that every corporation will have nowhere to flee. They're going to pay this 15 percent. Uh, I guess it's a global tax. So a country like Ireland or Singapore can't quote unquote cheat and attract and that's a blueprint also for the United States. No blue state, red state uh, will be competing. They're all going to have to suffer high taxes. That's what Biden wants. So I think when the G7 looks at Biden, they say, wow, he's got Kerry there, who was the architect of the Iran deal, multilateral Iran deal. They've got people who were very prominent in the Paris Accords, climate accords. And we've got this program that we've cooked up at Davos, but we we could never get really the United States on board because of Trump's paranoia or unilateralism or uh, unreasonable fears of China. Now we've got somebody in Washington that is a twofer. He's favorable to Europe's multilateral globalist agenda, and he doesn't know what he's doing, so he's not going to stick up for the interest of the United States. So that's what worries me, that we're going to see the G7 sort of, People are going to say, you know what, we got to go where the power is. And this 
America now is on the side of the EU and it's on the side of the UN and China is not the existential threat that Trump said it was and we don't have a choice. And that, I'm talking specifically about countries like Japan or South Korea or, and others yeah. that have to make the necessary adjustments. Yeah, I, my, my own feeling is this is just the wrong company that you want Joe Biden to be in now and before his meeting with Putin because uh, they will indulge and even encourage uh, his worst impulses. Uh, you, you mentioned China. How much is the G7 going to talk about China as opposed to talking about this global tax you mentioned, Victor, or global warming, climate change. Um, I mean, th- 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 this is the company which will uh, indulge uh, and, and, and carry forward his worst instincts, it seems to me. Uh, I'm, I'm not happy about this. I'm not optimistic about this. Uh, may I just add a slight bite? Please. Boris sure. Johnson is well to the right of, um, of Biden. Boris Johnson is an authentic conservative. He's soft on the green nonsense. I agree with that. He, he that, That's a raw meat that he's throwing as a kind of placebo to the left. But the fact is, Boris is an authentic conservative. He's a low-tax capitalist. He's not a red Tory at all. He's a Thatcherite. And therefore, I, I had somewhat... A different view in that I thought I thought that it, it, he as the host might have a bracing effect on the Americans uh, and not on the green issues, but on other matters, including China. The Japanese are effectively the leaders of the let's not uh, give the store away to the Chinese uh, co-leaders with India. And I had thought that they would would uh, uphold that view. And with what's going on in Hong Kong, especially, I thought that Boris would also. So I, my view is different in this sense. I have a higher estimation of a, a couple of the leading members of the other G7 countries than, than, than you men do. Uh, I, and I, I don't think the Italians, I mean, they're not terribly well organized, but it's not a left-wing government in Italy. And, uh, and Macron is not exactly a leftist either. He, he's, he's faddish. But he does have the sense of France as a great power, and and uh, I, I I think he would have I think he would have a, he would be to the right of Biden and to the right of Biden's entourage. I thought that Biden was going into relatively upbeat by our standards and sensible company. Uh, Justin Trudeau will will not make a, a serious uh, contribution one way or another, and, and the worrisome part is uh, is Germany. I mean. Merkel is finally leaving. She could have been Bismarck and drag, and she's ended up making Germany an energy satellite of Russia and and grasping some insane delusion that Germany has some role to play as an interface between China and the West. So, but, uh, you know, she's a lame duck and she's leaving in a few months. And I think Boris will be the most prominent influence there. And and he'll be a relatively good influence other than in this green nonsense. You think he'll speak up on this other things, such Uh, as Boris and and Macron will. Yes. Uh, And and I assume the Japanese will on Chinese matters. Yeah. My point is that Biden is much further to the left of the EU than than Trump was to the right of it. And this so, is true. But, but, yeah. Yeah, I'm just, but I was answering the question, Victor, from the perspective, yeah. as Bill put it to me, that Biden was going into company generally to the right of himself. And, and, and uh, uh, I mean, if we want to be, if we want simply, and there's no, nothing wrong with this, but we want to look at it from the standpoint of what the three of us believe in um, and, and set aside for the moment the objective national interest of the United States, uh, Biden may quite possibly on, on his record as a communicator to date in office, he, he may give his soft left view or even 
to some degree, hard left view of things, a bad name if he doesn't present them better than he has in, in his first five months in office at home. Yeah, I think they've made the necessary adjustments. I think Jill Biden, that photo op and is to, and then the idea that he doesn't take questions when he gives these communiques. I think the Europeans understand as well as the American public that there are certain limitations to his presidency and he's useful because uh, he allows them to appear sober and judicious to their, their own constituencies while they get sort of a neo-socialist uh, consensus on stuff and they don't have to deal with Trump. And yet I think their biggest worry, ironically, is that Joe Biden really believes this hard left stuff and that they don't know whether they have kind of they're always playing Greek philosophers to Roman legions. They don't really know if the legions are there anymore. And I think that's what they're always worried about. If the United States ever went left, then you couldn't just conveniently ankle bite them because they might take it seriously. And Joe Biden, I think, is actually a much greater threat. I don't think Trump was a threat at all in NATO. I think he bulked it up and, and energize it. But Joe Biden, if tomorrow we were told that Putin went into Western Ukraine, I don't think that the Europeans are going to think that Biden is going to organize a NATO muscular response. It just, I don't think that's I, Look, I, they're complete hypocrites, almost all of them, except the British. I mean, we're talking the G7 ones now, the Poles yeah. and the others are different, or some of them are different. But look, you men know this. Foreigners always like weak American presidents. They like yeah. the presidents who collegialize everything, can't do anything without the authority of their so-called allies, and generally behave like a St. Bernard having given their own leash away to someone else to tell them what to do. And the Americans mm-hmm. will do the work and, and take the risk. And, and, and in that sense, uh, Biden may be, you're quite right, Victor, such an overachiever that they'll feel good grief. We have, we have an innocuous nebbish in the White House, at least under previous presidents, we knew, as you say, that the legions were there. Uh, that's possible. But that, as I said at the outset, this depends on whether Biden gives a good account of himself or not. I'll take innocuous Nebish over to St. Victor leading from the left. If no, he's just yeah. there and the receptacle yeah. and listens, fine. Yeah. But yeah. if he leads to the left, man, that's really, really bad. I don't think you're going to see anything approaching Reagan Thatcher or any Anglo-American special relationship under Biden because he's emasculated. He's not able to. His coalition, yeah. this hard progressive group that is running the Democratic Party, detests Britain. They detest its history. They detest the influence it's had on the United States. To, to, if they like any Europeans, it's the continental EU model, but they don't like any Europeans in general. So for the, in their way of thinking, uh, they want to get the United States uh, away from Britain, away from that legacy. And I think Biden, to the degree that he's appeased them, will go along with it. I don't think he sees, I don't okay. think there's anybody around Biden who says, you know what, this is this is the nation that gave us Churchill. This is the nation we fought with in World War One. This is the nation we have. This, I don't think they believe that. They don't even know about it. I don't wish myself to be portrayed as naively maintaining a standard of special relationship here. This isn't yeah. Roosevelt meeting Churchill. Or, yeah. or, or Thatcher and Reagan meeting. I, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't asked that, and I didn't answer yeah. that question. No, I didn't imply you did, but I just don't think. That, <laughs> okay. I just don't think they're going to be very. There's going to be much of a relationship between Britain and the United States. But anyway, this is the warm-up band. Um, the main event will be, at least in my mind, the Putin meeting. But but thinking of the two together, I just. I'm not happy that this is what he, uh, you know, what, what the practice feel for him is uh, is the G7. What do we say about the meeting with Putin? The president said, well, I, I'm going to tell him, you know, what he needs to know. 
uh, and I'm going to tell him. Uh, what do you think? Straight talk from Joe and telling uh, Putin to stop. And, and 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 what about these cyber attacks? And what is- I think I think he's going to tell him the price of you guys charge too much for the ransom on the pipelines, and then you really charge too much on the ransom on the meatpacking hack. So if you're going to do it, be reasonable. And we can pay, you know, five or four or five million, but we're not going to pay 10 million. Come on. That's about what he's going to say. He's not going to say the next time I'm sending in the Delta Force, take out these hackers. Uh, Well, I think they would have stopped a long time ago if somebody in the United States said, we don't know who did this, but apparently some North American hacker took down an electrical grid, you know, in St. Petersburg. But we don't have anything. We don't know anything about it. But we got to make sure that we work together to make sure these rogues don't operate. And then I think he quit. But uh, he has he has deniability of culpability. Putin does. And he's getting back at us for the Russian hoax and all of the other stuff. And he feels he can get away with it because there's no deterrence left in the United States. All Biden has to do is be able to maintain the fraud that where Trump appeased Russia, which of course was nonsense, uh, Biden has stood up to him. Uh, But what he actually does, I think will be, I I doubt it will be quite as uh, really sickening as what Victor just described. (laughs) It'll be closer to that than, than, than actually, you know, laying, you know, telling Putin, if you, if you do anything like this again, there's going to be almighty hell to pay, you know, the way Reagan would have done. We're not going to applaud this, right? I, 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 I'm always ready to fear the worst with this administration. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's right. Will they do a joint press conference? If I were Putin, I'd do it. <laughs> Putin if I were Biden, I wouldn't. No, sure. That's right. Isn't Biden foolish enough? I'm going back to that comment I made that I'm misquoted, but close enough. I'm going to tell him what he needs to know. He may think, let's go. Let's, you know, let's have this joint press conference and be made a fool of. That's what I, my worry. Yeah. But, but, but not by the American media, uh, Bill. I mean, well, no, they'll just no. ask him what flavor ice cream he ate there or something, and then that'll be that. But uh, you think, that, and, and if he gets rude questions from the Europeans, uh, or, or you know, non non American or non Russian reporters, like he'll just waffle on it. Yeah, I think we're lucky that Biden is not all there because when we had a globalist leftist like Obama who was all there, remember his two favorite lines. He said when told that Putin had been interfering in midterm elections, he said, "I went over there and told Boris to, uh, I mean Vladimir to knock it off." That didn't do much. And then the other thing yeah. we remember was in Seoul in 2011 when he said, "Tell." Vladimir, that if you'll just give me some space, yeah. we can, because this is, I, I'm going to be up from re-election, then we can work on missile defense. Basically, he said, I will ne- renegotiate the security of the United States uh, if you will calm right. down and, and not va- invade Crimea and Ukraine till after I'm elected. And that's exactly what happened. That was the live mic with Medvedev, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So, well, one good thing, I guess, that comes from this is that he will distract attention from uh, what uh, Conrad brought up, which is the vice president uh, at the border. Uh, well, uh, the vice president, not at the border, I should say, uh, but visiting the um, root cause countries, as they as they call it. Has any of the press, other than uh, conservative press, called this a disaster? 
or been in any way critical of it. I, I think there's some noise in that direction. Yeah. I, do, uh, I just, yeah. Yeah, expressions of concern, I think about, about her uh, discussion with Lester Holt. I, yeah. I think, I think they've, they've, uh, you know, they've, they've kind of ignored the negative aspects of the visit itself to the two countries, but uh, the answer to Holt about, I haven't been to Europe, but that shocked e- even, even CNN. I, I had, had, <laughs> reservations about that i think they're leaking pretty well i think the biden people are are in full leak mode right now because you hear that it didn't go well they disappointed biden she didn't perform well uh i think they're this whole thing of putting her on the border when you've had a million immigrants already come in this year it's a total disaster and i think it was a way of saying you know what you're going to take your youthful enthusiasm and your ambitions and you're going to get mired into something like Stalingrad at the border. And that's your job for the next four years. Because I do think he may think he's going to run again, but I don't think that they're going to give any latitude, any uh, opportunity to over, uh, upstage Biden. And that would be easy to do, but not if you're not if you're down in Central America talking about root causes. Yeah. <laughs> Spending, giving billions more to the politicians of Latin America. I'm not, I'm, I'm not as, as I read her, I'm not sure she can hold on to her, you know, her emotions here and, and her presence. Each of these things, uh, you know, she's gotten, gotten more explosive. She doesn't yeah. like, you know, she doesn't like the probing. And, you know, I think now I understand. I When she announced in Oakland, uh, you all remember, the huge crowd. And I thought, boy, this is a really formidable candidate. And what she dropped out in December, and I was saying, I wonder why. And now, now I think I'm beginning to see why she's really very weak. Um, yeah, well, it, it, uh, I never heard her say any answer to anything other than we need a conversation about that, and then burst yeah. into into gales of laughter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. she's sort of a charming woman in a way, but she seems to me to be an absolute dolt, an airhead. Yeah, I think her problem is that she's a what the left calls a construct. She's got this idea that she was a minority victim and grew up in, in dire circumstances and represents the aspirations of the underclass. And, she, you know, her father was, a, I'd see him walk on campus. He was a PhD in economics at Stanford professor. Her mother was a PhD. She, grew she up went to Quebec. one of the best schools yes. in Quebec when she was in Montreal. Absolutely. So she's a child of privilege. And then she really didn't have any cauldron of, uh, of stress or conflict to, to emerge from. She became sort of an adoptee of Willie Brown who nurtured her through right. politics and put her right. on boards. And then I can't think of any time in her life where she's had serious debates or she's had policy discussions or she's written an op-ed or a book or she's studied up on foreign policy. There's never been an occasion. It's always been, she's a woman of color. She's young and apparently charismatic. And she's the face of the new Democratic Party. Clarify something, Victor. Uh, are you saying that the, the Biden whisperers are putting her out to pasture now or ditching her? Saying, we, you know, uh, we I, think, I think what we're going to see is that each time there's a crisis that was Biden's making or didn't turn out the way they thought it would be, they're going to put her as point woman. And then as soon as she starts to laugh and go and tour, they're going to start leaking that senior officials, unidentified senior officials or anonymous senior officials yeah, expressed yeah. express wonder how unimpressive she was or they were surprised how she failed to da, 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 da. And I think that's going to be, and I think she's going to, and I think that's why she loses her temper a little bit with these interviews and thinks, wait a minute, you're on my team. 
you give all these fluff interviews. Why are you doing this to me? It must come from Biden. Well, is this, Victor, is this uh, uh, the president's entourage wanting to preemptively damp any enthusiasm for, let's put this waxworks dummy of a president, uh, let's push him out. He's not really up to it. Let's tell him that, you know, he's, he's kind of absolutely uh, I think embarrassing us. They're preemptively striking at any such move by saying, don't do that because you'll get this moron of a vice president. Well, you, you're the Nixon oh. biographer, not me, uh, oh. Conrad. So you admit, uh, this is sort of the agnuization when Nixon was in trouble. I mean, people said as Nixon may be an SOB, but he's not a Agnew SOB. Well, so we got the theory that he put in Ford because people <laughs> thought Ford wasn't that intelligent. Exactly. I think exactly. Was a good president, but yes, but uh, and a very fine man. But what well, that's uh, that's Biden's strongest. card. They want to make sure the strongest card that they have from a Twenty Fifth Amendment challenge in a year is that. Well, listen, oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh my, oh my gosh! gosh. You, would you rather have an really? Non-con- I would. Really? I mean, really. Okay. I had a I had a columnist write me the other day and said, "Hey, don't cr- criticize Biden because you'll end up with Harris." And he wasn't joking. Yeah. So, would you rather have somebody who knows what they're doing, who's dangerous, or somebody who doesn't know what he's doing? Uh, I'd rather have somebody who doesn't know what he's doing. I think yes, we, yeah. we, we do. We do call that the case of insufficient options in philosophy. Please, <laughs> yeah. please, please, guys, please. All right, let's. Uh, Goodness gracious, this is discouraging. Let's try to be encouraging. Uh, did you did you both watch uh, the president in North Carolina? It's right next door uh, to where to where I am. Uh, I thought he gave a pretty good speech. I thought he was pretty calm, uh, under control, and it was pretty good speech. I wanted to note any comment on that is welcome, but I wanted to note two things in it. I was listening for applause lines, and maybe you know this is just a case of me hearing what I wanted to hear, but I'm, I, I, I played it again, and I think it's true. When he hit critical race theory in the schools, the crowd erupted, and then when he talked about school choice, uh, very interesting to me the, uh, how popular uh, this issue is. And then did you see President Obama said, well, what is it with these conservatives and Republicans seizing on this? They think this is an issue. Uh, it sure as heck is an issue, isn't it? Yeah. A big yeah. issue and, a, and a, an important issue. And people are right to be very upset about it. I was a little surprised about the response of the crowd, but not displeased. Um, Victor, you may want to comment on this first, but I'm not, yeah. you know, I think we've lost the universities uh, and did some time ago. I've been worried for a long time about losing losing the schools for years. When I you know went around on the speaking circuit, people would say, "Well, I'm concerned about teachers and the union education. What should I do?" I would say, uh, "Run for school board." Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't you don't get paid much, and it, but it's where the rubber hits the road. It's very very important. And I, <laughs> I used to I used to add. I used to say, "By the way, if you're Catholic." Uh, this will take all your time in purgatory out because that's what a school board meeting is like is, is yeah. purgatory. Time. But it's really it's real citizenship. I think that's a strategy. I think after he left office, people realized for the first time they should have known it earlier. But all the major institutions in society, the corporate, even the corporate boardroom, the military, the retired military, the foundations, Hollywood, professional sports, Silicon Valley, Wall Street especially academic life, K through 12, school boards, they're all to the left now. 
And they didn't, the Republicans were in despair and it's, they kept saying to them, we have the majority of people we feel, but we can't get our word out. We can't get our, our message out. And I think what they're trying to do now, Trump's trying to do it, DeSantis is trying to do it and say, listen, these, yeah. are, these are elites. This is not a grassroots woke revolution. These are people like Oprah or Meghan Markle or Hunter Biden. These are, uh, are the CNN group or Dianne Feinstein, or Chuck Schumer, or Pelosi. These are very wealthy people who are very privileged and they're hypocritical and they're against you, the people. And that's, I think that's the only way to, to fight it. And then the, the second thing very quickly is the Republicans are trying to feel out what the role Donald Trump will be. I think right now they're starting to gravitate to recognition that they're going to praise Trump and that Trumpism was a was a market improvement on Romneyism and McCainism and is the future of the party. You've got to get to be populist. You've got to be nationalist. Control your borders. Get tough with China. Be symmetrical in your trade. Be nationalist. But they don't quite know where Trump polarized that 5 to 8% that was necessary for a 51%. They don't know whether the other person who will take over, who will benefit them by not being so polarizing will still have the fire in the belly. And I think that's what DeSantis is trying to do now. He's trying to, and Pompeo as well. He's, they're trying to be really tough and push back at the left, but not in a way that yeah. that makes fun of them or or offends us. You know, somebody like my daughter, you, a suburban mom. Do you think that's the majority of Republicans who want about, Trump, Trumpism, but I, aren't sure they want the president? I think it's about 50-50. I think 90% of them want Trumpism and 90% give credit to Trump because they realize without him, they right. don't have it. Right. But they're split about 50-50 yeah. on whether somebody could emulate his fire and his anger at the left, but not get get angry, but uh, get even. I think they're ang- they're when they look at Trump, they said, well, he got angry and he, you know, he poked the bear, but he didn't get rid of him and he didn't get even. Right. Right, he didn't have right. enough time or something. Yeah, some of them were responsible for that, though. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's you had the formula, as Bill said. They want Trump. They want Trump policy, but they don't want Trump a lot of them. But the fact remains, he's the only person alive in the United States, or has been alive in the United States for a long time, where where fifty thousand people will stand out in freezing weather for hours to have the opportunity to listen to him in person. And I think that is, don't you agree, Conrad? Because on any given moment, he can say whatever he wants. He doesn't give a damn. And he's willing to go after the people that were are untouchable or that we're not supposed to make fun of an anchor woman or it, a politician. Yeah, the, the politically incorrect part and the, and, and the, and the anti-pomposity. I mean, a lot of, <laughs> a, a, a great many Americans are tired of... Uh, office holders swaddling themselves in a lot of self-righteous kind of narcissistic invocations of their sacred duty. And uh, that ceremony they had on inauguration day at the Capitol right after the actual inauguration where McConnell in LBJ's words slobbered over these two former Senate colleagues who are now the president and vice president was a perfect illustration of what a huge number of Americans are sick of. Complacent, sufficient politicians patting themselves on the back and what a brilliant job they're doing. And and they they really like when Trump says, this is all bunk. These people are just governing for themselves. They're incompetent. Many of them are dishonest. And and then he, he uses these funny words like he called 
his quarrel <laughs> with McCain went back when, when he called McCain and George W. Bush and Bradley and Al Gore a bunch of stiffs. I mean, they thought that was le mot juste, you see, stiffs. I mean, a lot of Americans like that kind of stuff. But it, it really gets the you know the hair up on the back of a lot of other Americans. So I, I think this period Trump's going through a relative silence is very helpful to him. No, it is. No, get it nostalgic is. about his policy, and, and he's not in their face all the time. Do you think he wants to run? I do. I don't want to be indiscreet here, but a, 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 an authoritative basis. He wants to run, in my opinion. I'm not saying he said that to me he hasn't, and he, or anyone else I know, but he, he certainly hints at it. It's conditional upon it looking feasible as he goes along. Yeah, I think he intends to campaign hard for the Republicans in the midterms. And, and if those go well and he gets some credit for it, I don't think you'll get anyone and anyone serious announcing they're running for the nomination until they've, until they've heard from Trump. It's like Roosevelt in 1940. I think that Conrad's right about that. He's, I think what he's doing now is he's positioning himself that he could run, and he wants to see what the economy is going to do. He wants to see what the Biden foreign policy, what the border is doing, because it's trending in a direction that favors him. But And he, he thinks it's going to get worse. But it's suddenly, you know, I don't think it's going to happen, but inflation was uh, less and we had a booming economy and we didn't have a war and da 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 but i think trump is getting ready to take advantage of the news cycle whichever way it is uh, as an audition though DeSantis looks pretty good doesn't he just in, in case I, I mean I, I agree with you I, if you had him in mind i don't think he will run if, if president trump run, runs but um if he doesn't run uh this is uh a sure and interesting uh, debut we're getting from. Uh, he looks like the, the if Trump's if Trump doesn't run, he's he's the he's the front runner, isn't he? I mean, I, I know so. the polls show pences, but I, I just I, I don't know. No. I don't think that would work. Uh, yeah, I think that the, what people like about DeSantis, he's got all of the establishment protections. They can't really attack him because of his education or his experience. But he doesn't act like an establishmentarian. He's a fighter, and he goes on the attack. He doesn't just doesn't just take it and defend himself. Critical race theory, or this transgender craze, or the lockdowns. He's always out there attacking, like Trump. And I think a lot of people like that. I do. And and, and the fact is, he was vindicated on his handling of the pandemic. Absolutely. And he was accused of being a Neanderthalian or something. That's the first time I've ever heard Joe Biden get so polysyllabic. But uh, but. He was vindicated. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. Well, one one bright spot, uh, back to the uh, the schools. Uh, I'm tracking this pretty closely. Talked to a lot of people uh, in the schools. And actually, um, a lot of people who are in the middle of it and who are very worried about it think uh, they're winning. They're, they're beating back this uh, CRT tide. Won't win everywhere. Uh, dark blue districts will uh, will certainly adopt this. But the Loudoun County, if you want to take it as a kind of uh, a crucial experiment, you know, these hundreds of people uh, at these school board meetings fighting back and some remarkable testimony uh, about it. Um, anyway, I think one can one can be encouraged by that kind of uh, that kind of engaged and active citizenry. When you say they're fighting back, what's been really interesting is a lot of minorities, especially Asians and Hispanic people are right. fighting critical but, race theory and they don't see that critical race theory is in their benefit and they don't like the idea that it, it that it that is passed off as it is it's really let's be 
it's basically about blacks, critical race theory. And people that are Hispanic, at least here in California and Asian, have not bought into it. In fact, they feel if their kids applying to school, if they're Asian, they're going to be hurt by it. And they don't feel that what's being taught has any relevance for the Mexican-American experience or aspirations. And so that's why I think a lot of it's fragmented, because when you have these school board rebellions, so often a prominent spokesperson is somebody who's not white. It's really brought people together in an ironic way. Again, and I think that's tragic, because at some point, I hope the conservative, moderate African-American leadership can remind Americans that not all African-Americans are for critical race theory because it's really, I think it's been injurious to a whole racial paradigm and, and it shouldn't be, but it is. And uh, a lot, I think it, nothing's going to come of it. Anytime you start to say that race is essential to who you are, rather than incidental bad things happen. I don't think we should fail to mention Joe Manchin's statement that he absolutely... Good was not going to cooperate in banishing the filibuster. Uh, It seems to me that those fundamental structural changes that were threatened, uh, trying to rush into new states and the filibuster, packed the Supreme Court. It looks to me like that's just a non-starter. And uh, basically, uh, House of Representatives won, and the corresponding bill in the Senate looked to me like they're not going to fly, at least most of them provisions anyway that the the radical change of the uh, vote counting rules and so on so i i think i think that at least i mean unless i'm misreading it that that's that's a positive step that's happened or is happening at, at trending anyway and i am advised sitting here dreaming is, is no, that, no, yeah, no 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 right. no i think I, I went back and looked at five or six of the statements from january late january and you're right they've all sort of uh, progressed so they've gone from, well, maybe we can hone the, the filibuster or maybe we can use it in particular areas and not in other areas. But now it's getting more adamant. And Sinema is the Arizona senators on his side. And I think it, it's why is that? I wish it was because there was in-depth reanalysis or looking at it in more depth. But I think it's just they feel that the tide, the political tides are now moving against this progressive woke movement. And they want to be on the winning side. No, that's, well, it looks like fine, all, I don't care. The, I, I don't care what the motivation is. When he comes in the room, I'll stand up. But it Shakespeare said, no, "Some are born great. Some achieve greatness. Some have greatness thrust upon them." He's yeah. had it thrust upon him. He's great man. Yeah, yes, yeah I, I, I agree. I don't really care what the motivation is, but yeah. I think he, he's that means he's an astute politician. He sees that these people are driving the Democratic Party into the ditch. Yeah. Yeah, he, but he is the, sort of the representative, to me, in my conception of him anyway, uh, of, of that traditional type of Democrat we were familiar with from the Roosevelt era up to Hubert Humphrey. Yep. That was your yeah. average Democrat. Is there anything to this theory that what we're, I mean, it looks like Schumer's going to try and put all the economic measures on, on a reconciliation uh uh, you know, 51 vote thing. So we'll get some get monster, some absolute Frankenstein monster of a bill, $6 trillion or something. I, I, I mean, do you guys have any uh, view as to whether they can actually get that passed? I don't think they can. I don't, I'm not sure that they can, but boy, if they can get uh, this corporate tax and this personal tax, this estate tax, all on rec- reconciliation would be 
the wrong thing to do at the wrong time with inflation roaring, you're going to have sort of a stagflation. It, it, it would be a suicide move. If, yeah. they, if they raise the, the, so the business tax, as he proposes, if they, if they even get that through, they, they, it's like playing Russian roulette with all six chambers loaded. I think. That does it for today's show. Want to join the discussion? Email this show at scholarsandsensepodcast at gmail.com. Share the show with your family and friends. Subscribe, rate, review. For Conrad Black and Victor Davis Hansen, I am Bill Bennett, and we'll talk again soon.